Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Mastering the Room, brought to you by the Graduate School of Political Management at the George Washington University. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every episode on the show, we'll sit down with some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. They'll give us a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens and offer their tips for how you can not only get in the room, but master it just like they did. New episodes drop every other Monday, so be sure to subscribe to Mastering the Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast listening app may be. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating or review. Just a few seconds of your time can really help us spread the word and reach more listeners just like you. And if you want to learn more about GSPM, feel free to check out our website at www.gspm.gwu.edu. And now, without further ado, here's a brand new episode of Mastering the Room. Hello and welcome to Mastering the Room. I'm your host, Steve Pierce. Every week we take a behind-the-scenes look inside the room where it happens, guided by some of the brightest minds in politics, advocacy, and communications. This week on the show, we're joined by Yante Metzger, an alumna of the Strategic Public Relations Program at GSPM and a veteran communicator who has spent time in the press shops of some of Washington's biggest nonprofits and progressive organizations. Iante began her career with labor organizations like the AFL-CIO and Working America before spending several years in a variety of communications roles at the Human Rights Campaign, the largest LGBTQ advocacy group in the United States. And in between stints at HRC, she also spent time at the progressive powerhouse consulting firm Berlin Rosen. Today, she serves as the deputy director of campaign communications at Emily's List, where she spends her days, and I assume quite a few of her nights, working to elect pro-choice Democratic women to offices up and down the ballot. We know this is an extremely busy time for you, so Yante, thank you so much uh, for taking a few minutes to join us today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Elections right around the corner, but excited to be here. Yes, by the time this airs, uh, we'll we'll probably be past the election, um, which I think will be good for for both you yes. and I in our sleep, hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but let's let's we start this podcast the same way every time, which is to start at the beginning. So, tell our listeners just a little bit. Um, where does the story of Iante Metzger begin? Where were you born? Uh, what were, what were you kind of? What was your family like growing up? What were you like as as a kid? Yeah. Um, so I, I was born in upstate New York, but I actually grew up in Trinidad. So I'm from the Caribbean and my parents still live there. I left when I was 17. So very different upbringing from, you know, what I, most people expect, honestly. Um, I mean, I have two sisters. I'm the middle child. I'm very typical middle child or so I've been told. Don't know what that means. <laughs> Thinks it's insulting, but it's fine. Um, and my parents are both dentists. Um, so I actually grew up wanting to be a dentist. I would every Saturday go to my mom's office and do cheerside assist or clean instruments for her. Like m- my goal since I was like six was to be a dentist. Um, and so the fact that I do what I do now is shocking to both my parents who are also just confused about what my actual job is. <laughs> my, my sisters are both doctors. So I'm just kind of, again, classic middle child, very different. Um, but yeah, so I mean, grew up in Trinidad, left when I was 17 and I came to DC um, for Georgetown um, where I did four years undergrad, came into Georgetown, of course, you know, pre, pre-dentistry, wanting to do sciences, biology major, all that sort of thing. And then pretty quickly, um, I think I just kind of realized 
you know, being exposed to so many different things and people um, and just a new city and a new country that that what really wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. Um, and so I think it was about sophomore year when I sort of changed courses, um, studied anthropology and justice and peace studies, which again was a shock to my parents. But, you know, I made it work and I enjoyed what I was doing. And, you know, ultimately they were happy that I was happy. And during college, um, Georgetown has a very big like social justice bent to it. And I got really involved in different social justice organizations at Georgetown, um, alternative spring break programs, um, you know, ES- teaching ESL sorts type of things. So just a variety of different initiatives that were sort of completely out of my wheelhouse. But it was really through those programs and that community that I learned that I really wanted to do more advocacy work and sort of be on the forefront of, you know, making people's lives better or advocating for change in um, any way possible. Um, And it was actually through the Alternative Spring Break program that I did at Georgetown, which um, I ran a program called Worker Justice DC, where we went to where we spent the week in DC, um, living in a hostel. We met with people working at unions. We met with people, um, with, um, actual, um, unions, union heads as well and different workers. And it was a really informative week. Um, and I started to run the program, I think my junior year and my senior year of college. And it was through that program when we had an alumni dinner with some previous, um, folks who had done the program where I met, um, a girl who was doing a media fellowship at AFL-CIO and she was just like, yeah, you should apply. Like you like unions and stuff and you should apply. And I really had no sense of what I wanted to do when I graduated college. Um, I mean, Georgetown is very, I mean, it's a great school in terms of the values that it has, but I felt like it was very focused on, you can go into consulting or teach for America or banking. And I knew that I didn't want to do any of those things. And so having somebody, meeting somebody who was talking about um, different options in terms of, you know, what I could do. And it was a field that I really cared about. I, you know, jumped at the opportunity. I applied for a media fellowship. It was a one-year fellowship. It paid pretty well, um, which I would hope because it's a union, um, for, uh, for, um, a one-term, a one-year fellowship. And I kind of just fell into doing communications. It really wasn't something that I had in mind, but, you know, with my skills as an anthropology major, I feel like I sort of like knew how to write well, um, and knew how to think strategically about different things. And so it ended up being a really good fit, um, for me. And so I'm really, I, Oh, that girl at that um, dinner, everything, because she really got me um, set on this path that I really would not have imagined um, when I first um, came to Georgetown for college. And yeah, I mean, it worked out pretty well, you know, after doing my year long fellowship and sort of getting into what media is and, um, you know, advocating for different things. And also the fact that I started that media fellowship in 2012. And it was around the time that Scott Walker in Wisconsin was being recalled for, Mm -hmm. you know, being anti union. And so, I was really thrust into politics. I really didn't follow politics at all in undergrad. Um, I mean, I started college the year that Obama got elected. I'd been in the country for like three months and I was like, this is really great and it's a really big deal, but I didn't really fully grasp like what was happening. And Mm -hmm. throughout um, college, everybody was pretty liberal and supported Obama. And so I didn't really think about the broader world and what was happening out there. Um, But being thrust into that role at the AFL-CIO, I really learned all of that sort of stuff about politics and Scott Walker and unions. And that really is, and, and it was an election year, of course, you know, who's was running for re-election mm-hmm. against Mitt Romney. And so we were definitely very involved in that as well. So that sort of was my first taste into the political world. And I really liked it. Um, and from then on, I just knew that I wanted to 
you know, continue to do that work, but in different forms or on different issues. And so after that year at AFL-CIO, um, I worked at Working America for six months as a temporary comms assistant and then was unemployed for a little bit and really, really worried because unemployment is not fun. Um, but no. then I got um, the job at um, HRC, which was really, really incredible. Um, I was a comms assistant. And so I did definitely did like a lot of grunt work, but it was at a time when the country was really changing. I think the week that I interviewed for that job, Utah had become the latest state to like strike down the marriage ban. And so it it was just, like, and it was very palpable that like, okay, marriage equality is the big thing right now. Things are changing. And it was it was, it was just like a really interesting time to be in that world. It was a very busy press shop. I learned so much working there. Um, and it was an incredible issue that I cared about. And I mean, I think to this day, you know, being able to say that I worked at the largest um, LGBTQ civil rights organization when marriage equality became the law of the land, it's still something that I'm just so honored that I was able to be a part of. Um, and I really liked my time at HRC. I loved the people that I worked with. I loved the issue. I loved the progress that we made and how you really felt like what you were doing day to day was going towards the cause. So that was really exciting. Um, but then, I mean, after all of that happened, there definitely was a point when I felt like I was kind of stuck at HRC. Like I felt like the forward movement wasn't happening as quickly as I wanted it to happen. Um, and also I, it was, I think, August 2016 um, when I decided to leave ultimately. But that was at a point where we did have an election coming up, but I was like, Hillary's going to win. No big deal. I think we're just going to continue moving along on this progressive equality train. No need to worry. I think I'm ready for something else. Um, and it was around this time that I was also in GSPM. So I had been around a lot of people working in communications and I had really gotten um, interested in working for a PR firm, just talking to a lot of people who had done that work for so long. I thought, you know, I really think it would be really great to be around people who know what I'm talking about and be around like-minded people who understand communications and really just get really good at this job. Like I was, I had fell into communications. I knew I liked it, but I liked the idea of, you know, having an educational foundation for it as well. I'm really just going back to basics. And so GSBM really filled that for me. Um, and at that point, as I said, being part of GSBM, I was talking to so many people who were at PR firms and that really sort of, catapulted me into leaving HRC because I was ready to leave at that point. But that's when I found Berlin Rosen, which is a PR firm that deals with mostly progressive issue advocacy work. Um, and they were kind of the perfect fit. Um, it was it was really, really hectic. I mean, it was definitely a learning curve and having to deal with multiple clients at the same time. But we had great clients. You know, we had Planned Parenthood. We had Southern Environmental Law Center, um, the Democratic Attorneys General Association, um, we had a client that was trying to close youth prisons. So we had some really, really awesome clients um, that I really liked working with. What was the what was the biggest thing that surprised you in switching over from an in-house role at HRC, which you said was a pretty active press shop to begin with? Mm -hmm. What was the biggest thing in, that kind of surprised you and that you had to learn in switching over to an agency setting? Yeah, I think probably just the create the creative side of things. I think that at HRC, I kind of was doing my job and was told what to do. But at, at Berlin Rosen, it was definitely very collaborative. It was there were a lot of brainstorming sessions, a lot of, okay, you're not on this client, here's our issue. We'd love your ideas for how we can, 
you know, deal with this issue. Um, and so I really, I really, really liked that. And I think that a lot of the skills that I learned at Berlin Rosen, I use them today at Emily's List because I do work with clients, with candidates who are kind of like clients. And you have to remember a lot of different things at the same time. But it was, it was nice to be in an environment where, like I said, you worked only with people who understood the communications and you didn't have to deal with the internal politics of like an organization that maybe they have, and there's a fight between this person and that person that was not our issue. We just worked on the communications. Um, and so that was really good. And being exposed to different kinds of issues, like I had never worked on environmental policy before or, you know, criminal justice reform. So that was really cool as well, I would say. You, you mentioned that this is around the time that, that you find your way to GW. How do you, how do you first find out about GSPM and, and kind of how do you wind up there? Yeah. Um, at that point, I had been working in comms for maybe like four years or so. And as I said, I kind of wanted to go back to basics a little bit, um, get really good at communications and really get the educational foundation for it. And also my parents were sort of nagging me to get like a second degree. And I <laughs> was not opposed to it. I just was like, well, I don't know. Like all my bosses at the time had, n- none of them had had, you know, graduate degrees. So I didn't really think I needed one for for communications. Um, but then I, I liked the idea of getting one. Um, and you know, I'm always, I'm all for improving your skills and I'm the first person to sign up for a a new training. Like I really like getting better and, you know, constantly learning. And so I just did some research and pretty quickly GSPM stood out to me as a place that I wanted to go to. I mean, I liked that the teachers were actually working in the fields that they were um, teaching in. Um, I liked that they really tried to engage alums, um, whether it was through events or, you know, through this podcast, for example. I just really (laughs) liked that about GSPM. Um, And I just, you know, I just like the idea of, okay, I've been doing this work for four years now. I like the idea of like sitting to stop and think and evaluate about how I'm doing it and really kind of go back to basics, make sure that I was actually learning and executing things the best way I could and bring those with me to my job. So that's kind of what, you know, attracted me to GSPM. And I, and I love that I could do it while I was working because stopping work was never really an option for me. Um, just because I feel like in comms, it's so important to be getting that firsthand experience. So yeah, that was kind of what attracted me to GSPM. Yeah. And a lot of people like the, 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 you know, setup where you go to school at night and you, and you work during the day Mm -hmm. and part of what's, part of what's good about that approach is is you're able to kind of take what you're learning in class and put it directly uh, into practice. How were how were you able to apply what you were learning at night in the classroom uh, for your day job? Which I think at the, at least for part of it was at Berlin Rosen, and I think you headed back to the human rights campaign after that. Yeah, no, that was probably my favorite thing. I mean, there were so many professors that said, "Yeah, whatever you're working on at work, if you have a problem, we can solve it in class," and that can be your assignment or your homework for for this class, which it was so great because that made it more manageable because working full-time and going to school full-time is really difficult. So knowing that there's an intersection there between what you're doing is really, really key. Um, and there were definitely different things where I remember we had a research class and we had just launched a newsletter at HRC that I was sort of help, help, helpful in writing. And the class talked a lot about metrics and different tools you could use to measure success. And I like brought all of those with me back to HRC. And I was able to like talk to my boss about it and have concrete steps and goals. And so it was really, really helpful. Like it was like I couldn't have asked for a better, you know, school and work experience, um, just running parallel to each other because I really felt like what I was doing at work 
I could just bring at school and work with a professor to really sit down and because because at work you don't have time like your your teacher your your boss rather doesn't have time to necessarily like talk you through different things or why this isn't good or why it is good and they might just edit it and then it goes out whereas at school like they could work with you to like talk through okay what is what is the issue what is your who's your audience what is what are your goals and to give you the time to slow down and really think about all those things was really really vital you're not you know super far removed from from graduation like some of the guests we've had on this podcast who have you know you know they graduated from gspm decade plus ago mm-hmm. um but w- you you've had some time you put some time between yourself and and kind of moving on from gspm what was to 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 date obviously what was the most valuable thing that you've been able to kind of take away from your time at gspm that's helped you uh, as you've kind of gone on in your career path in, in the years since I think that um, just thinking back to undergrad, I never was the most vocal person in class. I didn't really have a lot to add to the conversation, but I feel like at GSBM, like I definitely like, maybe that was partly, you know, being in the, in the workspace for a few years at that point, but I felt really, really comfortable, like speaking up and sharing my opinions and being creative and just sort of like riffing in class. And that is a skill that you need for communications. Um, Definitely you need to be able to be creative, come up with ideas, um, bounce ideas off other people, have plans and strategies. And it really wasn't until GSPM like gave me the time to sit and think about it because in my roles before that, I definitely was just executing plans, but I wasn't the person coming up with them. But, you know, after GSPM, I knew that I had the skills to do that because that's what we did in class every day. And so I've really taken that with me at the jobs I've had um, after GSPM. And I really feel that has made me a stronger communicator and a stronger um, person working in the political field. You returned to human rights campaign in, in 2017 in a, in a press secretary role after just about a year um, at Berlin Rosen. Why did you feel like going back to a place that you'd already spent quite a bit of time at? I think you were there for nearly three years, your first stop there. Mm-hmm. Um, why did that feel like the right next step uh, in your career? And, and how was being at HRC a second time this time, you know, obviously in a different a different role? How was that different from the first time around? Yeah. um, I mean, the short answer is Trump got elected and Mm -hmm. I just felt like I wasn't doing enough. Like I wanted, I mean, I liked our clients. Um, Some of them were for longer stints, some of them were for short stints, but but many of them were not able, they wanted to be nonpartisan, which totally understand. But I, at that point in my life, I wanted to be a bigger part of the fight. And so I had known that um, like the summer of 2017, I, I, I knew that I was maybe ready to get back into more direct political advocacy work. But I was, I I didn't like the idea of leaving after 11 months. So Mm. I was kind of just, you know, going to like maybe like stay, stay throughout the rest of the year and then start looking. But my previous boss at the human rights campaign, she, she just like reached out to me. She called me and was like, Hey, we are starting this new initiative at HRC for 2018 midterm elections. I think that you would be the press, a great press secretary on it. You should come back. And I thought about it for a long time because, again, I didn't like the idea of leaving that soon. And I did like Berlin Rosen, um, but I just knew that the job that she was offering me at that time was what I would want in six months from then. So it just didn't make sense to just sit around and, you know, miss this opportunity. And and I, I, I liked HRC. Like, I didn't leave because I was unhappy necessarily. I just left because I felt like I had done everything I could there at that point. And so this new they were starting a new program that I would do all the comms for. It was just a really exciting opportunity. Um, and it was directly, you know, 
hitting back on the Trump administration um, for the elections. And so I just, it really felt like the next, the next best step. And it was really hard to leave. And I felt really guilty for a long time, but mm-hmm. I mean, I've learned that you kind of just have to do what's best for you and there's, they will find somebody else to replace that role and just keep good relationships. And so, I mean, ultimately I'm really glad that I went back, but I'm also glad that I left HRC the first time. I feel like, I feel like it all made sense and I'm glad that all the decisions I made um, job wise. Well, the revolving door in, in Washington, D.C. is always turning. Um, and so people don't people people move around a lot here. So I don't think anyone needs to feel bad about about taking taking a good opportunity that's right for you. Um, and you're certainly you know, you're certainly in the fight uh, now. You're the deputy director of campaign communications at Emily's List, um, a role which you've been in since early last year. I'm sure a lot of our listeners do know about Emily's List, but some probably don't. So just tell tell the audience a, a little bit about what you all are up to and, and what your goals are and what your role is right now in, in helping the organi- organization achieve those goals. Yes. Um, so Emily's List is the nation's largest resource for women in politics. We work to elect pro-choice Democratic women up and down the ticket. And Emily is actually an acronym. Um, it stands for early money is like yeast. And it's just kind of a nod to the fact that when you invest in a candidate early, it makes the door rise. They're able to like fundraise earlier and gain support earlier. And so that's kind of what we've been doing for the past 35 years at Emily's List. And it's a it's make basically my dream job. I love working at Emily's List. Um, I specifically work with down-ballot candidates. So I work with women who are running for office, um, lieutenant governor and down, so city councils, state legislatures, county commissioners, that sort of stuff. And I basically um, try to elevate our state and local program in general. Um, So, you know, make sure that reporters know that Emily's List does this work because we are really known for our federal work and for electing women to the Senate and the House um, more than we are for our down-ballot races. And I also just work directly with candidates to offer media training um, and debate prep, interview prep, um, candidate services in any way that they need right now. So um, it's kind of a, it's like a nice mix of, you know, traditional media relations, but also a lot of trainings and a lot of one-on-one support and a lot of crisis comms. You know, sometimes a woman, you know, will have an issue pop up that she does not deal with because all the times these women who are running for state legislatures, they have really small teams. You know, they only have like maybe two people and some volunteers working for them. So they don't have the capacity to really think through a lot of things or the expertise um, of a bunch of consultants. And so that's where Emily's List comes in. And it's it's really great because we really, they really rely on us. And it's nice to work for an organization where we really only care about the woman. You know, we want her to win her race. And it's not just that race that we care about. It's the race, you know, five years from now. It's the long-term goal that we have. And when we're with her, we're with her for her career. And it's just a really rewarding place to be. And the women are so wonderful and they're our future leaders. And I just love working with all of them. So you had mentioned uh, previously your uh, your time unemployed, uh, which is, I think, a hallmark of any (laughs) political career. Uh, You work in politics. You spend some time uh, in between jobs. We're obviously getting ready to come up on an election now, which means that some of our listeners who also work in politics uh, may be uh, getting ready to go through a, a period of time between jobs and figuring out what's next. Based on your experience having done that in the past, do you have any you know tips or, or tricks or anything that you've uh, you've found to both a you know help navigate that and, and, and make the most of that time and b keep yourself you know sane because it's not all it's not easy uh, just emotionally mm-hmm. and, and psychologically to uh, to have all that time on your hands and not know kind of what's next and have that uncertainty. Is there anything that you've found in, in, in your time that you think would be useful to pass on? 
Yeah. And I think now with COVID and the fact that we're just all home all the time, it makes it even like, it's just more reason to go stir crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I think definitely like, I, I, like, as I said, I, I really am somebody who's always about like trainings and webinars and like, just like learning things that you don't know. So take the time to definitely try to learn new skills if possible. Um, there are a lot of free programs out there that allow you to do that. And using your network is really key. You know, there are, and, and just generally, you know, depending on what happens um, next month, there are going to be so many different types of jobs out there. And you're going to know so many different types of people that you don't even realize, you know. And so don't be afraid to reach out to people. It can be scary if it's somebody that you don't know super well. But, you know, I know that when people reach out to me for help, I even if it's something that I don't know well, I want to help. Like, I like I like to give people chances and help them if, if I'm able to. I'm not always able to or usually able to, but, you know, I like doing that. And so the, the fact of the matter is that most people want to help you. So, you know, take advantage of that. Take advantage of your your GSPM network if you're an alum or if you're a student or whatever it may be. And just don't be afraid to, you know, ask the question, ask for a Zoom date. And people are more available now because, you know, we're all home. But, you know, we are a little Zoom tired, I will say. So mm-hmm. maybe, just a, maybe just a phone call. But yeah, just don't be afraid to reach out to folks. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's great advice. I always I always say that uh, what passes for friendship in Washington D.C. There's just a very low bar for what constitutes <laughs> a friendship. So always, you know, you should feel free to to reach out to folks. And really, everybody, especially you know, people who work in politics and any in basically any form, everybody has been in the position that you are now. And they and yeah. some there was somebody who helped them uh, when they were in between jobs or they were trying to break in or whatever the situation may be, and they. They are grateful to that person uh, that they helped them, and Absolutely. they want to they want to pass it on. And so I, I think that's just great advice. Uh, that's just great advice from you. Um, if you were to look back, you know, let's imagine ourselves ten to fifteen years down the road from now. What would you hope to be able to say that you were able to leave behind as a result of all this work that you're you're doing now, and that you hope to do, you know, in the near future, either in this role or in, in the next role to come, whatever that may be. Um, what would you hope to say you're going to leave behind as a result of all this work? I would probably hope that I left behind a world where women represent, you know, fifty percent of all governing bodies. Um, mm. I mean, just thinking about our work at Emily's, it's like that's really our goal. I mean, women are fifty percent of the country. They should represent um, that they should, that should be represented in, you know, all our bodies out there. And so that's what we're trying to do. And a world where we have equality in that way would be my ideal world. And I hope that, you know, what I'm doing at Emily's List, the small part that I'm playing in that can help, you know, down the line, help the woman today who wants to run tomorrow. Like, I just really hope that that is what I can help leave behind in the future. Trust in institutions kind of across the board is is really at an all time low. Um, and that's not just that's obviously, you know, government and, and political institutions, but also, you know, corporations and basically every institution in American life. And that's, this is particularly true uh, among young people. Um, what advice would you give to a young person on a why they should even bother to get involved in any of this at all? Um, and B you know, if they did decide that they wanted to do that, how can they find the way to do it? How can they find their own voice or their own path through which they can contribute and and participate in this, in in our democracy, basically? Yeah, no. And I mean, as somebody who works in politics, I've lately been feeling, um, you know, I've definitely had the, what is the point um, feeling Mm -hmm. because things just often feel like, you know, the 
the quote unquote good guys don't win. Um, yeah, so it can be really hard. You know, I think that it's really important to kind of find your core group of, of people, you know, find the people who you trust, who are passionate, who are in your community and really try to get to work. I, I feel like we focus so much on, you know, the White House and the Senate, which are incredibly important, of course. But I mean, I work with down ballot women, women running for like for county commission. And that's really where a lot of the change is going to be happening. And I think that people need to, you know, look outside, you know, figure out, okay, what is the one thing in my community right now that I think needs fixing that I know that it, that I can get a group of friends together and we can, you know, advocate for this and start there, you know, start with like the small tangible things that you think that, you know, that will, that, you know, will improve the day-to-day lives of the people around you. Um, and I think that just starting from small and not being overwhelmed by the sense of doom or all of the craziness happening up top can make you feel better, make you feel like you're, you're making a difference. And yes, we want to fix the bigger system, but you know, we're, we're one person. And so we need to kind of find the smaller things, the things that are going to help make us happy make us feel like we're contributing and focus on those things right now. Last question. There are a lot of opinions about what makes for a successful career. In your experience, uh, and you're in the midst of a, a successful career right now, uh, in your experience, what have you found to be most important? Is it what you know, or is it who you know, or is it some combination of both? I think it's probably a combination, but I think what you know is so much more important than who you know. I, Yes, it's great to have connections and to use them, but I, I feel like if you know all the people in the world, but they know that you don't work hard and aren't good at your job, they're not going to help you. So I think you need to you need to have the skills down, be good at what you do. And, you know, from being good at what you do, you will meet the right people and you will get into the right spaces and the right circles. So I think just having your skills set is really, really the most important thing. Um, I know in DC, we're a big networking city, but, you know, getting ahead is really about also being good at your job because then nobody can doubt you and you will meet the right people anyways. Wise words from a wise woman, Iante Metzger. Thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate you uh, sharing a little bit of your journey with us, and I'm sure our audience will be better off for it. We know you're super busy right now, so so thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah, thanks. It was good to talk to you, Steve. Thank you. 